0: You're listening to the latest episode of the 44View podcast. This week, we had the privilege of welcoming our first ever guest, Paul Harbinson, manager of NIFL Championship side Ballyclare Comrades. Awesome, Before we started, thanks. thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it nice show so do. No problem.
1: Thank you very much, Paul. I'm Mark, by the way. No, you've met hey, Mark. You only, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, mate.
0: Yeah, so I think the first thing we'll, we'll ask you is uh, about the, the other night there. Um, obviously, commiserations on, on the defeat in the cup, but uh, a it finished 2-1 to one point in the end, I'm sure you were happy enough with the performance given, I think I'm right in saying that was your your first competitive match in over a year. So I'm sure you were happy with the effort that uh, your players put in anyway.
2: Yeah, absolutely delighted. Uh, the players worked really, really hard. Um, and I, I guess that was the biggest takeaway was, was the level of effort that they were able to put in after uh, three and a half weeks training. We did have one competitive game against uh, Larne in the County Antrim. Uh, they beat us 2-0 down at Larne in October. Uh, that's the only game that we've played really competitive and um, yeah, as you say, over a year. So for the guys to come back and have three and a half weeks worth of training, uh, that was probably our, our biggest challenge was just being able to field a team of 11 players who were fit. Um, and yeah, we picked up knocks and we picked up injuries, but we managed them quite well. And My biggest uh, excitement by the whole thing was how fit the players came back. Uh, the vast majority of them came back and told me that they'd kept taking over themselves, they kept on doing bits and pieces, even though we had provided them with, with programmes and things to do. And, and then they'd taken a vote, uh, after the most recent lockdown to say look let's take a break and, and wait and see what comes next um, they still off their own bat decided just to keep going um, and, and when they came back they, they were able to compete now to say we competed for 90 minutes is maybe a little over the top we, we competed in the first half for 30 minutes and then you could see the uh, the oil light started to come on a wee bit uh, but we regrouped and we got in at half time and and, and we went again and I think you'd probably be fair to say another 30-35 minutes you saw it start to go. Um, yeah. Although, you know, it, it was one of those games where nobody really seemed to take control of it and you sort of thought, maybe this will go to penalties because, as you, I'm sure you're aware, there was a, the new rule this year that there was no extra time uh, being played in the Irish Cup because of, of COVID and because of the short time scale. So, we sort of thought, you know, maybe we can get through here, get this this last 10-15 minutes in, uh, we'll get the penalties, and, and it's a lottery, as you know, at that point, but Unfortunately, we just, uh, we conceded and we're on point, you know, they're a good team. Their, their league form hasn't been good, but but they're a good physical unit who have been playing Premier League football all year. So so they know how to compete and they know what to do. And uh, and they they were just a bit more savvy, a bit more streetwise, simply because they've been playing a lot more football. Um, they, they went off, they, they got the, the goal. And, and even though we threw the kitchen sink at them for the last 10 minutes, we just, we couldn't find it. Um, and I think to be fair to them, they deserve the win. Um for us, you've hit the nail on the head. For us to come away and say we only got beat two one by a Premier League team um, after only three and a half weeks worth of training in the last year, I'll take that.
1: You know, I'll, I'll take that. 100%. Yeah. no shame in that. I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts as well. Obviously, good for yourself being back, but what about the boys themselves? I'm sure they were glad to get back playing after all so long away, and obviously the impacts that would have had not only physically but mentally as well. Not being able to see their mates and yourself and all yeah, every week as yeah, you lose. Yeah. Was-
2: Certainly. I mean, I'm in a really fortunate position in, in that uh, we've uh, appointed a, a new academy director this year to take our academy forward. Uh, and he comes from an educational welfare background. So he's uh, fully jammed up and, and fully trained when it comes to uh, the mental health. So we're now a Tech Five club uh, and we're part of the Bloom initiative, which is a, a brand new initiative coming over from, from professional clubs and professional sport in England. Uh, we're going to be the pilot club for that. So Uh, it it was a big thing for us that that we get them back and just see smiles on their faces Um, and I repeatedly said to our own social media guys this is not a game where we're going into the Irish Cup expecting anything more than let's make use of it to allow the players to come back to get that elite status uh, to allow them to come back and just play football together Um, and believe me the sun shone Uh, it actually snowed on us one night as well Uh, the sun shone for 10 minutes then it snowed for half an hour uh, and then the sun came back out again but Um, you know, in in that environment of of the guys playing football again together, it it was just, um, it was great to see. They just had smiles on their faces. They didn't care about the snow. They didn't care about the rain. Uh, The sun was shining in the background for some of it, and and they just absolutely loved it. So I think if you were to say to them at the start, listen, you're going to go for a month here. You're going to play. You're going to get beat 2-1, and that's going to be the end of your season. I think every one of them would have taken it, and I most certainly would have too, you know. So, yeah, definitely good to be back.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong as well, but I think I've seen on Twitter that did you have a few fellows making their debut there or
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's funny uh, because, you know, those are guys that were signed this time last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were signed with a plan of uh, Dale, uh, Dale McCreary. We actually signed um, in the January of last year, but uh, we signed him at a time when he was still working in England, uh, but we knew he was coming back. Mm-hmm. So he came in with a view to getting himself fit and getting ready for the new season. Yeah, uh, they they've all played a, a big part in what we thought were our pre-season friendlies against the likes of, of Linfield and Glenavon, uh way way back there in uh, in September time um so they've all been involved for quite a while so actually when I read that again on social media I had to click myself and go well, that's right yeah that, that's the first time those guys have made a competitive uh debut for us so um they're guys that have been around Deal uh and, and Elliot um both came in to play at the back, and Deal got the man of the match. Um, he was absolutely outstanding. Elliot, I think, is a wee bit aggrieved at Kieran Dobbin stealing the ball off the line from. Uh, Elliot met the the ball from the corner and, and put a fantastic header down into the bottom, uh, which Andy Coleman got his hand to, but he just didn't get a strong enough hand to it, and Kieran poked it over the line. I think it was going anyway, so Elliot, you know, was was obviously screaming about the fact that he would have scored on his debut, and Kieran stole it from him, but. And that's, that's all the banter of the change room, and and they love that.
0: Yeah, so just sort of looking, Paul, the movie, just take you back a bit to look at your own maybe playing career and your own sort of foray into management. So you started off your career in, in the intermediate leagues, and then you ended up moving to Port of Down, who at that time, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, were, were still a pretty big premiership side, Irish premiership yeah. side at that stage of the game. That's right. Um, so, what was what was that like, sort of transitioning from playing an in intermi- intermediate leagues in front of sort of one man and his dog to playing at like Windsor Park, uh, the Oval grounds like that? What was that like for you at the time?
2: I huge and probably a bit of a shock, if, if if I'm being honest. Um, I grew up and I came through a school um, where it was rugby. Uh, everything was rugby orientated, so they, they didn't actually even have a football team while I was there. Um, so I didn't come through the usual pathway of playing schoolboy football and, uh, and trying to make it into international type setups or even, you know, regional setups. Um, I didn't really play the game until uh, my mate sitting beside me in maths at A-level. I said, "So sure, why don't you come down? I was playing BB football. Uh, that was the height of it. Now, we had a pretty good side. We'd won the, the British Championships at five-a-sides, but it's only BB, so it wasn't really that that impressive, yeah. you know, so uh, the guy sitting beside me in miles, Mark, was involved at a uh, Bourneview. They were called Bourneview Football Club at the time. They're now Bourneview Mill, I believe. Um, and he said, why don't you come down? And, and it just so happened, I was going down just to kind of show up. It just so happened that that particular day their centre-back was, was injured. So instead of going and playing for the second team, I ended up playing for the first team. Um, I don't think I scored that day, but I definitely scored within my first couple of weeks. Um, and And it just kicked on from there. Within half a season, I, uh, the intermediate A team, which were just, by the way, called Portadown BBO boys. I don't think they were linked in any shape or form, but um, they were they were top of the intermediate A uh, and they asked me to come across and sign for them. So um, I, I went and signed for them and, and again just completely out of the blue, happened to be playing in a game in, in the middle of an estate where the reserve team manager from Portadown sat and watched it and, and he approached me and said, do you want to come up and, uh, and, and have a go at playing reserve football? And at that point, you know, I was maybe 18 or 19. I hadn't really played football at any major level. And it was all a bit of a shell shock. You know, I, I hadn't come through that, as I say, that normal background. And um, it was all just a, a bit surreal and a bit exciting. And um, off I went. And, and I must have played maybe there uh, in and around the reserve team for the best part of a year. Uh, and then I started to train with the first team and, and, and made a few appearances off the bench, that sort of concept. Um, by that time, I was ready to move to Wales um, to do my postgrad certificate in education uh, to do a teaching uh, qualification, and, and um, Ronnie McFall was very good to me at that point because I'd started to make a bit of a breakthrough. So he hooked me up with with a team in the league of Wales, um, and, and I got playing there for the year. Um, and yeah, at, at that point, it was is this really happening? You know, um, I didn't really expect to be in that position from, as you say, two years, three years before it, playing local football and, and really playing it on a Saturday afternoon, just because, well, because my mates do, um, all of a sudden it became quite important and, and, it, and people were willing to pay me to do it. I thought, really, this is strange. <laughs> um, and I, honestly, I've, I've said it. I continue to say it to my players when I'm coaching, I was never, ever, the standard of footballer I wasn't a good footballer the way these players are now um I was just a big was six foot five and a big strong unit um and so I could win my headers I could win my tackles I could do all the things you need to do at centre half um somehow I found myself in the centre of midfield uh that year in Wales uh, I don't know how that happened because I, I I couldn't have crossed my shoelaces if I got myself down the wing you know so um I ended up doing that for a while and, and then I came back home. Uh, I got a job here teaching uh, and I came back home to Portadown. And at that time, uh, if you recall, I'm trying to remember the names. I know certainly Mickey Collins was one uh, that Ronnie McFall had signed and Dean Fitzgerald was the other one. Uh, those were the two big names he had brought in. I came back and I knew within the first few weeks, I'm not getting into the centre midfield against those two. Uh, they They're proper footballers. Um, you know, Mickey Collins was doing things in training. I couldn't even work out what his feet were doing, never mind be able to try and do it, uh, you know, so. I
0: have to ask you about, about Ronnie McFall, because obviously he's just in Irish League football. He's, I like guess, Godfather, like yeah. Alex Ferguson type figure. Is, yeah. is he the sort of new nonsense character that people make him out Absolutely. to be?
2: Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Listen, I, I have so much credit to give to him. What, what a guy who could pick a player and knew the ins and outs. At that point, as I say, I came home having played for a year in the League of Wheels thinking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make demands here of Ronnie McFaul. Which <laughs> I remember going into that meeting and trying to make those demands. And he says, you're not going to get that. So there's no point in asking. <laughs> so so at that point, I realized, look, there, there's, there's a fight on my hands that I'm not going to win here. Uh, in my head, I believe at that time, I probably thought I was better than I was. When I look back, I realize I was trying to play the local Portadown boy card, you know, play the local guy. That's what you should be doing, Ronnie. And he was going, no, I just want to win games. Uh, you're not good <laughs> enough. Uh, so, <laughs> so I didn't get in. Um, I was really fortunate, though, in that because at that point I got a few phone calls from uh, what were Division 1 and Division 2 teams back then. They're now Championship and Premier Intermediate, as they're called. But they, the one that really struck a chord with me was Lockall. Um, and and I met Jimmy Gardner. Um, and and Jimmy just said all the right things to me and, and made me believe that there was a club on the rise. Um, and and I, I just thought that this is, this is the right place for me to go. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, I spent six and a half maybe seven, maybe as much as seven years there in total. Um, and we won everything that we could at that point and got ourselves into the Premier League. Um, and as you say then, you know, going week in, week out to places like the Oval, Windsor Park, you know, and um, I remember playing for Portadown and, and back, those were back in the days when maybe there were 4,000 people at Windsor Park watching it, you know, and as you say, a man and his dog two years before it. Um, it, it was a big shell shock, but you soon... You soon get used to it as well, and, and when we got there as as Lockall, we we got there as a really small, close knit family club, and there was a group of us that that would have fought for each other and would have died for each other, you know, and that's what I believe got us there. We we spent three years fighting for our lives, you know. We back then, I think the league had fourteen or sixteen in it, and every year we were finishing tenth or eleventh, um, which was a fantastic achievement for a club as small as Lockall, but uh, but we loved it, and and you just it's funny how it just becomes normal. You know, arriving into Windsor Park and uh, going into the change rooms, and getting changed, and running out onto a pitch, you you almost get a bit cold to it. You almost become uh, sterile to it. it. It just becomes the norm. And and when I look back, I realise I really, really should have spent more time really appreciating how far I got because I had friends who would have said, "Yeah, but you're you're playing in the Irish League," and I I never really respected it. That's probably the best way to put it. I never really recognised how far on I had gotten, how, how well I had achieved. And until I look back now and I see where, where the young players are who are proper footballers. I mean, I have some guys playing at the club there and they are proper footballers and they take it seriously and they do it right. And, and I go, he's got and, uh, so many more tools than I ever had. And, and, and if I if I made it that level, he most certainly can.
0: Yeah. And then I think I'm correct in saying you finished off your career at Harland and Wolf Welders.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. Um, I, I, uh, I left lock Goal um, when they sacked Jimmy Gardner, because we had, uh, as I say, a very close knit community there. I had actually, I uh, got a bit of a hip injury had a bit of damage up inside my hip. Um, and I'd taken, I was about four or five months out to try and recover from it. I'd had the MRI scan and I was basically told you either need to rest it and try to build the strength up and, and start again and accept that it's going to be pain or just, pack it in all together, and, and I'll be honest there, there was a point where I thought Do you know what I, I've enjoyed it and I've, I've done okay out of it so I'll pack it in and, and I did take the break when they when they sacked Jimmy I thought uh, you know uh, it's not what I thought was right at the time and listen what did I know I was 26 27 I was a I was a kid really you know I didn't really know an awful lot about what was going on in football and I thought I probably knew more than what I did I'd made my decision and I kind of walked away from it for a bit and, and then again I think it was just in dispatches, you know, those random conversations you have with people where I sort of said, you know, I might be interested. I might get back into it again. And it was Banger. It was Geordie Dunlop, that Banger phoned me. Um, and Stevie Collier was a friend at the time. And Stevie was going down and, and I knew a couple of other guys down there and I went, you know what? Give it a go and played a year and a half there. And I have to say, I really enjoyed Banger. Paul Miller came in uh, as the manager for about six months. Um, and wow, what a coach. Paul, absolutely fantastic coach. Really, really enjoyed my time there. But Marty Quinn then came in, and, and Marty did a bit of a clear out. Um, and at that stage, it must have been 29, 30 maybe. Um, and Marty basically put on the table, look, everybody's going to have to play for their place, come back to preseason. And I just went, you know what, at this age, I don't need that. I'm not going back on trial at this age. So either you know me and, and you want me or you don't. Um, and I walked away, and the Welders uh, were one of the the few teams that weren't that many at that stage. Uh, the Welders were one of the few that that were really interested, and wow, had a great three and a half three three and a half years, I think. The Welders um, absolutely loved it. Again, won absolutely everything there was at that level, a Championship One level. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Was was the first day, the first time the Welders had ever won the Steel and Sons Cup. Um, so that was a, a really, really nice achievement and made some really good friends that I still keep in touch with, you know? So yeah, Welders was a, was a good experience. I, I still have a soft spot for them.
1: Brilliant. If I had to ask you to pick one specific moment in your career, your favorite, would it be the time in Wales or is there um, a sort of moment that stands out with one of your teams over here?
2: There, there are so many different things that happen, you know, it, it's so hard to, to pick out a, a particular moment. Um, mm. You know, certainly as, as a young man growing up, not really playing the game and making that debut at Windsor Park with the likes of Vinnie Arkins in front of me, um, that was a wow factor for me. Um, lifting the Steel and Sons Cup for the Welders because they had never done it in their 41-year history, I think it was. Um, that, that was a nice moment. I was club captain, and, and so, you know, to, to be the guy that did that for them, obviously it was a part of a team, but to actually be the guy to physically lift the cup um, was a fantastic feeling uh, to to play in the Premier League weekend week out with Lockall was fantastic. It, when it, when I go to Wales, I think about the away trips to North Wales. We, we I played for Port Talbot right in the south, so an away trip was a Friday night um, with a coach and you know, and it was a whole hotel experience and. Uh, you obviously had a curfew and whatever, and some of those curfews maybe didn't just get stuck to 100%. Um, so there are, there are a few stories that maybe I can't tell because there might be people who know other people. <laughs> cetera, you know? But um, yeah, just some, some fantastic. It, to pick one is really, really tough. If I had to on, on the spot... Uh, the the stealing sons is probably just the nicest the nicest feeling of it all you know but um but loads loads of fantastic memories and uh funny i was i was on duty in in school i'm a school teacher so i was out on, on the playground the other day and i was telling this to a couple of people uh, some of the kids were, were talking about their contacts and their uh, their facebook friends and all those sorts of things i'm not really on social media but one of them pulled his phone out and he and he looked at it and he went ah many contacts do I have? He said that he 120 or 130 contacts. And he said, sir, how many do you have? Um, and I, I opened my phone and I did know and I scrolled down, it was 860 something or other. And, you know, I would say out of that 800, or not, there's 700 of them are through football. Um, yeah. You make so many good friends. You meet so many people that, that have an impact on your life and that you keep in contact with, you know. So, um, so yeah, loads and loads of massive experiences that have been really good to me.
1: And was there sort of a specific moment for your um, playing career where you thought that maybe management was the way to go or was it just sort of a natural progression?
2: It's funny, I, I didn't think about it until late. Uh, and, and it was actually a couple of the guys at the Welders who said to me, you know, and I had intimated that in work, I was starting to get a little busier. I was starting to climb the ladder a bit. And I, it just so happened that our management meetings were on a Tuesday evening. It was starting to get tougher and tougher for me to get to training on a Tuesday evening. And I became also frightfully aware that at the age of 34, uh, I was slowing down and I needed all the training I could get. And I also didn't feel uh, that as club captain, it was right to be missing a night's training nearly every week. You know, um, it, just, it just seemed, seemed wrong professionally. Um, so I was starting to get to that point where in that final year, I was talking to the players and management about the fact that I think this, this season will probably finish me um and a uh, and a couple of the players just said to me well you know it's natural you're a teacher you know you you should go into coaching and you know you've been you've been our our group leader our our, our captain so this is the right thing and I think it was more a couple of those guys who, who sort of convinced me it was the right way to go um and I started then taking the badges and just absolutely loved it uh the, the change room is really hard to walk away from uh, as I said talking about the number of contacts you know you 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 develop really, really close friends that are really important to you, you know, and it it might be an old cliche, but there are times you go into games where it's just a battle and the guy standing beside you is literally your, your, your teammate, he's your battle mate on the field, you know, and uh, he becomes really important to you. Um, And so I guess whenever you have those sorts of connections and those sorts of friendships, um, it's hard to walk away from. Uh, So yeah, when, when I, when I got to that point, I simply couldn't. So I went back and started into the badges and, Again, really fortunate, spent a year uh, in a local club, ball Old Boys, um, just coaching and helping out. And Joe McCall uh, had been an acquaintance and a friend through football, and, and he was running uh, Ballymena's Academy. And at that point, they were struggling for an under 17s manager. Um, so he, he phoned and he said, Look, what do you think? Um, I said, Well, it's football, isn't it? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll go and do it. And, and Gareth, my, my assistant, and, and my best mate as well um, just said, look, let's, let's dip our toe here. Let's see where this takes us. And within about a year, I think, did we even do a full year? I think we did one full season. And I had known Spike from playing against them. Spike had made a fool of me on many an occasion. Um, and uh, and Spike, you know, was a manager at Palomina at the time. And and he phoned me when Davey Dorian left and said, do you want it? He said, do you want to be the reserve manager? Um, of course, absolutely. I, I always had aspiration I, I teach kids during the day I, I do want to work in kids football at, at night as well so uh, i wanted to get into men's football and the opportunity to, to run a reserve team was was too good to, to pass up so that's kind of where i got to and how, how i got there and I've, I've good people i have to thank you know joe mccall as i say was the first guy and massive thank you to him for what he did and glenn ferguson um i can't say a bad word about him what a, what a great what a phenomenal footballer um, and a great guy, and I'm so, so thankful to him for giving me a start, because I most certainly wouldn't be anywhere without
0: him. Talk about moving into coaching with Balmeda, the Balamini youth teams, obviously David Jeffrey is, is the manager there, what, what's what's he like as a character uh, as well, and uh, Ronnie McFall. if you had a pick between him and Ronnie McFall in a fight, who are you choosing?
2: Do you know, do you know the two are very, very close, uh, they're very <laughs> good friends. Um, and, and David would, would actively tell you that he would phone Ronnie on a regular basis and ask him, what would you do, Ronnie? What do you think? Um, when, when somebody like Ronnie McFall, who's been around for as long as he has and has as much experience as he has, you know, David is humble and understanding enough to know that's the right sort of guy that I want to speak to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, David is an absolute legend. Who would I pick in a fight? Uh, David all day long. Uh, he, he's a mountain. And, and Ronnie... Uh, is ronnie ronnie turned 70 there recently didn't he um uh, he's, so he's got
0: the age advantage to be fair he
2: has yeah david's only he hasn't hit 60 yet david i think he's 58 59 um so uh so david still has the has the edge on him twice but i tell you he's a he's a solid as a rock. i'm sure you see it you know he, he uh, before every game he shakes your hand and he drags you in you know with a big hand on, on your head and kisses you on the forehead um, so anytime we were involved at first team, and, and again, massive, massive, huge thanks to both him and uh, and Brian McLaughlin because they, they they brought me into the fold and uh, and made me a part of the first team staff. And uh, anytime before a game, David would just grab you and drag you, and I'd say, "I'm six foot five now. I'm I'm most certainly not as athletic, maybe as a as I used to be, but like just the, you've no fight. David grabs you, you're in. That's it. Game over. If he <laughs> wants to kiss you on the head, he's kissing in the head, you know. So. <laughs> Um, you, you see and, uh, and I think you would see the likes of Jerry Flynn uh, was telling a few stories on Twitter over lockdown yeah. he tried to tell yeah. the story of the time he tried to resist um, oh, I, remember, I remember seeing Oren Kearney <laughs> try to resist one time <laughs> as well um, okay. it's just it's just not happening sorry <laughs> if, if, if David wants to kiss you in the forehead it's happening get over Absolutely it um, big Paul Magaribi is, is the coach now at Glen Alvin first team coach down at Glen Alvin. Um, and Magars is a big big strong guy too and we would joke about it on a regular basis if you're getting a kiss, you're getting a kiss. Get over it.
1: <laughs> so just with regards to management that Bally Claire in, how's it been? Obviously, you haven't been in it too long. Is it a bit of a shock in comparison to obviously your playing career and did it take you a bit of time to get adjusted, or have you settled in sort of seamlessly enough? How have you found it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you if you speak to anyone in who's moved from from playing into coaching uh and, and in any form of management backroom staff, they'll tell you the difference between being a player and being a coach is just night and day. You know, as a player, uh, it was Craig McLean I was chatting with not that long ago. Obviously, I chat with him most days. Um, and he was laughing about the, sh- the, the shell shock that he's got. You know, he's moved into this where we're trying to be as professional as we possibly can. And we're trying to be, uh, you know, really, really active in, in all of the areas that we need to be to try to professionalize the club. And um, Craig said, as, as a player, I used to. Show up on a Tuesday, you know, what? if it was seven o'clock, I'd have been there for a quarter to seven and I thought I was doing well, you know, and, and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. You just show up. The manager tells you what's happening and you just do it. Uh, it's a very, very, very different different life um, as a manager and as a coach. Uh, you're scrutinised by absolutely everything that you say. Um, you're scrutinised about everything that you do. Every decision you make, there are lots of people who will tell you it's the wrong one. Um, every player thinks that they know better um and that's not a negative in any shape or form i'm not i'm not having a go in any way i'm just saying that that's just natural that's football it's a game of opinions um and everyone has one um so every decision you make um someone is quick to tell you how you got it wrong um but but listen that that's what it is You, you just you just as long as you're aware that that's all it is people have an opinion and they're entitled to it they're welcome to it you know and uh the way i look at it and the way i continually say to the guys you know that mine's the one that, that, that I have to live by. Um, I put my neck on the line and I, and I make my decisions based on what I see and what I think. And uh, if I get it wrong and the club sack me, then that's my fault and mine entirely. If I start listening to uh, what players want and and what fans think, etc., and start making decisions based on that, well then I'm not being true to myself and, and I'm not following what I believe and, and, and I'm not really doing the job right. You know, so uh, it's it's that first of all it's it's the inputs from from everywhere that that you you have to learn to listen to of course um, what you'll probably see if you've if you've looked into the background of Ballyclare is I, I have grown the backroom staff massively um, we are a completely different animal to what it used to be uh, the backroom staff now consists of sports scientists and nutritionists and video analysis and uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches and and. Uh, physiotherapists and sports therapists and, and massage therapists. And, you know, it, it's um, there's now three guys that, that run the resources and the equipment at the club, because one guy looking after a set of footballs is, is not what we are anymore. We're a bigger organization. Um, and and if I go the other way and say that I'm just going to do exactly what I want and never listen to what those guys tell me, then I've got it wrong as well. Uh, I've brought them into the club and I've asked them to do a job and, and I trust them and, um, and it's really, really important that you listen to the people around you and that you trust the people around you because they're the ones who tell you when you get it wrong and you can actually trust that you have got it wrong. Um, but they're also the ones that will say, yeah, well, I think we're doing the right thing here. And, you know, we go right back to the very first question about the Warren Point game. If I was asked, you know, would I would I change anything? No. I think we spent the three and a half weeks afforded to us and we spoke every night about what was happening. We looked at all of our stats. We looked at all of our information. And ultimately, I'm the guy that delivers the information, but it's not just me that comes up with it. You know, there's there's three or four guys in the ring there having that same conversation every night. Uh, and, and between us, we come up with what we believe is right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult um, to to sometimes um, blank out the, the bits of information that you don't want and, and and also then just to focus on the stuff that is really important. But I think most key is trust the people around you. Uh, that's what I've learned very quickly. And, and David, David Jeffrey and Stephen Baxter is a good friend now too. And uh, Those are the sorts of guys, Gary Hamilton would say the same. Um, they're guys that I have entrusted myself to and, and spoken to and rang and said, what would you do and what should I do about this particular thing? And the advice that they would give is get the people around you that, that are really good at what they do and know what they're doing and, and, and get the people that you can trust. Um, and I think that's what I've tried to do consistently just get people that i trust behind me and um I'm, I'm confident that i have that now so as as much of a shell shock as it is as big as a transition as it is you're you're learning every day uh i think anybody that tells you that they've got it right straight at the start you know they're, they're living in dream world you're, you're just learning every day and trying to improve every day and um and i will make mistakes and, and i'll always say that to the players too i'll, I'll get it wrong and when I get it wrong, I'll hold my hands up and I'll say, look, sorry, I got that wrong, but we'll try and fix it together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And from what you were saying there about Ballyclare sort of increasing the, the backroom staff, it seems like uh, Ballyclare at the moment sort of a growing outfit. Um, and I just want to ask you sort of what's what's your ambitions for Ballyclare as a club sort of moving forward? I mean, obviously the club haven't played in the top tier since, I like, think it was the 1990s. Um, so right. like promotion is achievable? Is that, is, that really well, is that your end goal as a manager as well, the, the premiership? Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, to, to call that my end goal, um, no, it's not. Um, my end goal would be to be full-time football management. Um, that's, that's where I would love to be. Um, I think uh, the, the day we stop dreaming and the day we stop trying to achieve is the day that we go nowhere. So they, they talk about what does it shoot for the stars and you might reach the moon. Um. So. So. Yeah. I mean. I. I I want to go as far as I can with this. And. And the first thing I recognised when I arrived in Ballyclare was, it was very much a phenomenal small club, fantastic people, family club. Um. But it. It was in that small mentality of as long as we're in the championship, we're okay. Um. There was no academy involved. There was no community thinking involved. So, um. You know we have. Launched our, our full academy uh, this year with boys clubs. We go right down to under 12s um, from next year on. We hope to include the wee nippers as well, right down to the, you know, that they now talk about 2015s and 2016s. I can never get my head around that, under 10s, uh, 2000 and what what is that? I, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they all talk about that nowadays. And, and by next year, we hope to have, you know, the tiny wee ones, let's call them that. Um, a development center all the way through. We have agreed uh, and we're signing on dotted lines and, and writing constitutions. We have a full women's academy uh, that'll be launched um, from, it's starting to process really from this September, but the full academy will, will be with us by next April, next May. Um, so, you know, by the time we get to the middle of next year, this time next year and a little bit later, uh, we'll hopefully have somewhere in the region of about 350 to 400 members at the club. Uh, all playing at different levels. Um, We've just uh, appointed someone to look after disability football. So we're going to launch a disability football scheme. uh, And once we've got that off the ground, we're going to try and incorporate some Sunday morning elderly walking football um, and see if that leads us anywhere and takes us into, uh, we're looking at futsal um, because we're trying to branch out into the community and and get, my understanding of Ballyclare is that it, it has been a big community club in the past. And that seems to have just kind of dried up um, but Ballyclare is a town, I don't know whether you know it, it it's growing. There's a new road uh, around the outskirts and there, there's talk of something like 12,000 to 15,000 uh, new inhabitants being planned because of the homes that are being built within the next five years. Um, I've got to tap into that. I've got to get those people who want to come and, and be a part of what we do at the club. So starting next week, we'll be launching our level three education. Um, so we're, we're doing what the likes of Larne and Glen Torrin and whatever have done. Um, but we're linked up with Rangers Football Club. Um, so in Park Hall Integrated, where I teach, just funny enough, um, and with Northern Ireland Goalkeeper Academy, which is Michael Doherty, who's also my goalkeeper coach at Ballyclare, uh, and ourselves at Ballyclare Comrades and Rangers Soccer Academy. Uh, next year, from September onward, uh, 16 kids will have the availability of studying the equivalent of three A-levels, so studying that uh, b Advanced Diploma Level 3 uh, in sports, so they'll play full-time football every, every day of the week, uh, and then they'll get their, their level three advanced diploma. Um, so uh, we're really excited by that because this year will be the inaugural year of that. So there'll be 16 kids come through that. And, and next year, then obviously it'll increase to 32. Um, and, and we think that if we launch all of those initiatives and as we continue to grow as a club, uh, we believe then that'll attract more and more people. And, and look at a little bit at the at the, the concept of the business model of what Lauren have done. I know Lauren had the money in the first instance um, but the business model that they've created is about sustainability. Uh, and that was the first thing that I said when I arrived at Ballyclare was let's, let's make this a sustainable business. Um, so let's get ourselves to a place where we have enough sponsors and enough people around who are buying into what we're doing in the community. Uh, and that will give us a platform to, to spring forward. Um, so that, that's kind of where we start from. Uh, all, all of the players would, would openly tell you, of course, we want to win the league and we want to go into the Premier League. Um, and of course, I do too. Everybody wants to. If you don't want to, what's the point in playing a league? Um, I think if any manager in the championship tells you that he doesn't want to win the league and go into the Premier League this year, yeah. I would question why you play in the league then. Um, that's what competition is. You want to win. Um, so, yes, absolutely. We, we would like to get to the Premier League and, and we would like to push on and, and be competitive in the Premier League. Um, I'd love to see European football in Ballyclare. Like uh, and I think wow. if, you, if you get the system right and you get the Uh, the the economic viability, the sustainability right at the club, then you can make that happen. Um, Crusaders did it. You know, 10 years ago, Crusaders were in the championship. Um, And Stephen would tell you that they just invested in in all the right things and and focused in all the right areas. And look at them now. Crusaders are one of our powerhouses in in Northern Ireland football. So if Crusaders can do it and they're 11 miles down the road from us, uh, why can't we? You know, so uh, that, that's the long-term goal. I'm, I'm not for one minute saying that we'll do that next year. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> there's, there's a long-term uh, goal there and there's there's a lot of hard work, uh, which is why, as I say, we're, we're working with a lot of different people and bringing more backroom on and building a, a larger organisation. Um, but it's, it's been fantastic to date. The board have been absolutely phenomenal in backing me and everything that I've wanted to do. Uh, and they've got that level of excitement and there's a real buzz about the club that says... We, we want to go places, we want to change things, you know, we, we've maybe sat, and we've sat still and been a little stagnant for a while. Um, again, no no disrespect, and to take nothing away, a fantastic, fantastic club for a long, long time, I think anybody that's been there will tell you that, um, but it's just on a different plane now, we, we just want to move it in a different direction than what it's been, um, and the board have been fantastic and backing that, so, very exciting, very, very exciting. Yes,
1: definitely. Yeah, You mentioned the Premiership, I wanted to ask you as well, obviously you touched on Lauren there, and Lauren, the likes of Cruz and Glenn Thorne yeah. and now Linfield next yeah. season going full-time. Does the prospect of playing the likes of a full-time team make promotion even more sort of lucrative than what it potentially would have been in previous seasons, the way the sort of league's advancing and the game over here?
2: Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, f- Football in itself is is evolving uh, all the time and, it, and it's getting more and more professional Uh, in, in Northern Ireland. Now, don't get me wrong, I think the product is still a different product to what you get on the mainland, um, but I actually I love that. Um, you know, sometimes sitting watching a, a Champions League game, dare I say it, can be a bit boring. It's a game of chess, and the balls move back and forward and around, and, and they're never really going anywhere. Sometimes now, that's that's not to take anything away from what they're doing, but I think at Irish League, because we don't have the same level of quality at present that are training, you know, all of the time every day. Uh, it's a little bit more blood and thunder. Um, and, and I think as a, as a product, it's so very exciting. I think it's a great game to watch. Um, now, lots of clubs going full-time, I think, will change that to a degree. If you watch Lauren now, I mean, you can clearly see Tiernan's done a fantastic job in coaching a structure and how they play. Um, but they come up against teams like like Carrick, um, like Cole Rain, um, who are training two and three nights a week and just cannot go full-time at this point, and large struggle with it because it, it's simply a different style of football. you know. So until all of the teams go full-time, I think we'll always see this exciting product that, that, that the, the Northern Ireland Football League has produced. Um, it does create a slightly different prospect because I think now every team that, that isn't full-time goes to the likes of Inver Park, goes to Windsor Park, even mm-hmm. goes to the Oval now and knows we're not going to have as much of the ball we're going to have to be patient um, and they're going to move the ball around really well. And we're going to have to work out how to stop them from doing that, you know, but uh, I, I think the game is evolving. I think it's changing and it does, it just makes it all the more exciting for the future, you know, that more and more teams go full time. The game just gets better. You get better players coming into the league. You get more players, maybe even making it across the water, maybe even more coming back because they see that the league's improving and it just gets better and better, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a really exciting time. I have to pay tribute to, to Niffle. I think Niffle have done a really good job in promoting the league and, and yeah. creating a, a bigger, a bigger excitement about it. Um, you know, they're they're trying to grow the numbers back. They're they're not back to where they were maybe 20 years ago before all the big sky TV and, and being able to watch football every night of the week on the TV. But certainly, Niffle are doing a great job and improving it. So you know, hats off to them and, and keep doing it.
1: Right. And that's it, Sky Sports as well, Like it, it shows the sort of progression of league, like yeah. getting games on Sky every other week, and even, obviously not as big, but the iPlayer, you're seeing yeah. games every week yeah. now on iPlayers, so it just kind of shows you. I think
2: that's fantastic, because because back in the day, you would never have, you know, if you were, a, a and no disrespect to the teams, but if you were a Warren Point or a Carrick, who are a, a mid to lower end of the table team, you would never have made it onto television for, for anything. Now, the iPlayer has made that accessible. Yeah. Sky Games are now going to those other grounds other than just Windsor Park as well. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. Really, really good to see.
1: Yeah, I suppose as well, like, obviously, in the future, if your team does get promoted, that's a chance for your players to kind of show themselves on a sort of bigger stage as well. So kind of all part and parcel of the whole situation. Absolutely.
2: That's the attraction, isn't it? You know, everybody wants to push themselves on, and they should be wanting to push themselves on to bigger and better things. And and, and that platform that they can get to has got to be uh, a motivation for them.
1: The main thing I wanted to get you in was to talk about the sort of situation regarding the elite status and the impact that's had, obviously, on on the boys this season not being able to play. Yeah, you want to try and get me into trouble, is that it? <laughs> uh, don't worry, we'll not make you to say too much. Um, just wanted to start, really, with, obviously, it came down to the decision that it was kind of taken out of your hands, being able yeah. to play and stuff like that. How was it kind of accepting that at the start of the season, where you kind of understand, obviously, regarding the situation, but... Obviously, in the back of your head at the end of the day, you want to play football, I suppose. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it's a really difficult one um, because obviously, you know, in the championship, the managers all talk and We have a WhatsApp group and we were talking quite a bit about what we wanted to try and achieve. And, um, you know, certainly at, at the start, whenever all of the protocols came out, um, you know, and we were having at the start small numbers of fans, I think, at the, at the start, we were like 250 fans, um, into our ground for some of our friends, like Linfield and, and Glenavon, coming to us, whatever and Crusaders, and, um, and and we were told to follow the protocols in exactly the same way as, as any other club was, um, which we did, uh, and we felt we felt really aggrieved that it was five or six years ago, I believe, that that the championship was made into a senior league. Um, my understanding of that was that if if it was stipulated as a senior league, there was more revenue available from UEFA. So, you know, the the powers that be decided that the championship would be named a senior league. And certainly in the last number of years, they've worked really hard at that committee level to make sure that the championship really starts to emulate what the Premier League does as well. So there was all of that push in the last number of years to, to make us into this senior group. And I think at that time, we just genuinely believed, look, there'll be no question over this. It'll be... be ourselves in the premier league that'll be the elite teams and and we'll play on and and yes we'll have to take the hit and it'll be expensive and it'll be difficult and all of that but um but we'll get through it and obviously everybody wanted to play um when it first came out that we weren't being designated as as senior i i think that was just a a kick in the teeth for everyone um we we genuinely couldn't get our heads around how, how has that happened um, and I won't go any further than, than to say that um because I would get myself in trouble. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of managers, as you saw, came out in the news and, and said this is ridiculous, this is a disgrace, et etc. Et we just felt gutted for our players.
0: Yeah, well what what's confusing for was confusing for me in that there sorry to stop there, Paul, was why why sort of the championship clubs were allowed allowed Elite style to play in the Irish Cup and for those games, but then they weren't allowed it for their own their own league for their own and yeah. ch- the championship that really that sort of baffled me. That
2: I think I did too. Um, I think we were all in the same boat with that. Um, and, and as you can see, a number of a number of clubs pulled out because they felt that the IFA were simply saying you can be elite when we think you can be elite when we want you to be elite and you're not when we don't want you to. Um, it, it's on our terms. Um, and and there was a lot of go back and forward between the Northern Ireland executive and the IFA, etc. and, and I, I don't know the incident. I wasn't privy to any of the conversations. um. So so I don't know who it was that decided finally um, that we should or shouldn't. There's lot lots of things quoted to us about all of these other leagues in Europe all playing, et cetera, et cetera, and all of these part-time leagues playing and everything's grand. I, I think personally for me, uh, yes, I, I had all the same frustrations, but it did get to a point where the numbers started to rise so high and people were getting really sick that I got to a point where I said, you know what? This is time we all and maybe even the Premier League needs to just take a stop, take a stop here and take a step back and say, you know, people are actually dying here. Um, Let's just let's just put football on hold for a period until we get this under under wraps again. Um, So, yeah, there were there were mixed emotions at the start. It was baffled. Can't understand why on earth are we not playing and fighting to play. And then we got to a stage where I thought, you know what? No, hold off. And then as things started to open up again, I went, no, the players have had enough now. They they need to be allowed to get back. We've shown that we can manage it um, and we should be allowed to manage it. Even in recent days, you know, I'm just not convinced that either the Northern Ireland executive or anyone above them, even at at UK government level, really fully understands the ins and outs of, of the information they're giving out. I think everyone's just trying to react you know and, and nobody knows what the right answer is and as a result there's lots of holes in everything you know we get these regulations that come out and the IFA's one doesn't seem to match up with the executive's one sometimes and you can only put that down to the fact that nobody really knows the answer and, and we've just got to deal with it we just got to accept it and, and I'm very much a pragmatist and I've just said you know what guys we took the opportunity to get a month's worth of training we've played a game we've enjoyed it We've we've made sure that our fitness has picked up again slightly. So we're going to take the short break now and, and then look t- towards a longer pre-season um, and get ourselves ready for the start of August. So yeah, it's been all over the place. Um and, and I can tell you obviously, you know, there's there's all of the talk about mental health. I know a lot of clubs dealt with a lot of mental health issues. We uh we actively tried to stay engaged with all the players, and, and we did on, on many an occasion, you know, meet for, for walks and for coffees and um, just in, in ones and twos, just to make sure checking in each other, um, because because everybody was starting to feel like when are we getting out of this, you know, and when am I allowed to see anything other than the four walls of my house? Um, so so yeah, I mean we, we've we've just had to deal with it like everybody else, and 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 now we're in a place where we can get back to training, uh, and we've done it, and we've enjoyed it, and it's been brilliant, and I think we're hoping now we're at a place where we can just put it behind us and start looking towards the future.
1: I suppose even with the likes of gyms and stuff opening here tomorrow, it, it gives you somewhat of hope that even for pre-season that you'll at least have sort of fans in.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. You, you would hope that by that point, you know, pre-season, our, our games will probably be July. Um, The announcement was the other day and I was speaking to the chairman and it seems to be fairly solid that they've gone for the 7th of August for uh, for the championship. So uh, our pre-season games will be July I'd like to think by then we, we should be OK to allow smaller numbers, maybe still. Um, but, yeah, it's looking pretty positive, certainly when you look at the, the vaccination numbers. Um, you know, the the mass, mass effort that they, that they put in there um, and the percentages of, of people that have been vaccinated. I think that gives you a real solid hope that we're moving in the right direction. Um, and fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just want to go back sort of uh, briefly there to the Irish Cup. You spoke about there a number of the lower league sides sort of pulled out in the end. The uh, Ards, Institute, Queen's, Dundella teams like that. I say they cited a number of reasons for that. But I don't know who made met who made that decision for Ballyclare, whether it was sort of a board level decision. Or what was it sort of, was it put in you and your players?
2: The players. You, you, so you guys decided in the end? No, not me, the players. The players, um, yeah. I, I met with the board whenever it all came out that the Irish Cup was going to go ahead and, and Newry were the first team to pull out and listen, again, you know, I've got to give Darren massive credit, he was trying to look after his players, but he's also running a club there where there are a number of professionals so they had them furloughed so for them to take them off that furlough, same for ours, it, it, and Balna-Mallard fair play to them, Balna-Mallard have, have had to manage it, and um, you know that that's a big expense on a championship club that hasn't kicked the ball and hasn't had any income. That that's huge, you know. So to take players off for for that would have been really difficult for a championship club. So, um, so yeah, for us it was the players. We I met with the board and, and said to them, look, it's not for us to make the call. Um, if if you as a club want to make a statement, it's your club and you, you can do that. But they openly and and they've always been very supportive. They openly said, no, ask the players and see what they want to do and. Uh, the players, everyone to a T, bar one who had a, a vulnerable family member, and he said, look, it just wouldn't be safe for him. Uh, and we respect that 100%, of course. Um, but everyone other than that just said, absolutely, let's go, let's play. Um, because, you know, we've talked about it at length now their mental health. They, they all recognised they needed to get out. They needed, they needed to vent. They needed to blow off steam. And they just wanted to be back playing football again. You know, they're, they're big kids you know they're they're on about like big five year olds. They absolutely love it. You know, and and if literally honestly, if I left the ball on the pitch all night, there's there's a few of them that would stand on the pitch all night just kicking the ball. You know, and so you know they they, they were always going to come back, um, and they were always going to get involved, and we let them make the
1: decision. It is was fairly straightforward. Then there was no sort of. Turn and fro and about getting back, it was kind of unanimous.
2: Not even close. I, I put a we use a um an app which which does all of our communications and I, and I put an announcement onto it. Um, I can't remember the exact day. Let's say it was the Monday, and I asked them by twelve o'clock on the Wednesday to come back and tell me their answer, yes or no. Um, and as I said, by Tuesday I'd got everybody's answer. Um, there was no question over it whatsoever. It was just straight away. Yep, yeah, let's go, let's go. So. Yeah, listen, when you've sat at home for a year and you want to be playing football, you know, and uh, some people, I think, forget that the Championship has been a, a development league as well since they brought in the under-20s league at Premier. Um, lots of those players at 2021 20, 22 go to the Championship to improve and, and to try to push themselves on. This, for us, there's been a lot of players here that have lost out on a year's development, never mind anything else. Uh, and, and we've spoken at length about that as well. Some of these guys are only 21 and 22 and, and and want to really push on and do something in their career. And they feel that that year was a year wasted in their development. So uh, so they're really, really anxious just to get back and get started and, and, and to do as much as they can to try and catch that up.
0: And I just wanted to say, or just wanted to ask you, um, like personally, how difficult has it been for you, like managing a side like Ballyclare during a global pandemic? Because I think last season was... I think I'm right in saying your first season as a, as a manager for a, at, as a full-time manager. Um, So you sort of been thrown in the deep end there. Um, Cause for me, I always think of it as not only the, the lack of matches you're playing, but it's us crucial time lost on, cause you weren't allowed to train for a long time there as well. So that, that's for me, that's, that's crucial time for a manager lost on the training ground to work on sort of phases of play, set of pieces, stuff like that there. So it must've been, it must've been difficult for you in that aspect.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, even, even that bit on the training ground of camaraderie and, and building a team ethos and building a culture where, where players rely on each other, that that's so, so important in our game. Um, so to try to build that. Uh, and yeah, just to go back to where you said it, yeah, I, I arrived at the club two years ago, um, this time actually two years ago, um, but I didn't actually take over the manager's position until the start of September. So I actually haven't even had a full season yet, um, which is just bizarre. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a massive a massive uh, shock, but listen, it was a, a massive shock to everyone. Um, no, nobody knew how to deal with it. Nobody knew what they were doing, and we just had to do exactly the same. I suppose the biggest negative was when they did tell us that we could train in in, in some capacity, they told us that we were allowed to train in groups of 15 or less um, with, uh, with no ball. So I was bringing players in, in and around October, November, right up to the middle of December, actually. Um, in two groups so that I stayed below the limit. And I know there are lots of clubs that have said, oh, we just went ahead and did our own thing. I, I wouldn't because, in my opinion, we were told that that was a directive and and I was following it, you know, because I wasn't going to have the IFA come and shut us down or send somebody out and find us kicking a ball around or training with 16 people and us end up getting in trouble and getting a fine, which we couldn't afford. So, uh, so we stuck to the regulations, absolutely. So, you know... I, I don't know what your experience is, but if the manager brings you in three times a week and just runs you as hard as he can for an hour, you hate him. You absolutely hate him. You know, they they would have joked and said, "Ah, no ball again tonight. No, no ball. But you know what? I I give them massive credit. Every one of them came in and every one of them did it. And there was no crap. Well, yes, there was plenty of wins. And of course there was, and how much they hate me, et cetera. But... um, But listen, they did it, and and I massive, massive credit to them. They were brilliant for it. Um, But, you know, you put them through that as well. So not only did did we not have proper training, any training that we did have was negative training. Um, And if you speak to any of the players, they would tell you that, um, that that period was probably the lowest for any of them in their career because any opportunity they had to be together and enjoy each other's company and do what they love doing, it was even negative. It was being hammered at them, you know, so... So they hated that. So for us, it was about just managing them as people um, and, and looking after them as people and forgetting the, about the football aspect for a while and, and just talking to them about their how they're getting through their days and, and how they're managing and how their families were and, and just looking after them as people. And, and and then the same, you know, looking after us and talking to each other. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a different year. Um, I won't lie, the, the fact that we didn't have competitive football allowed me an awful lot more time on my hands to do the stuff for the academy to do the ladies academy deal to look at the disability to look at the the plans for for the next number of years so we had a five-year development plan and we got through the first year and and sorry we got through the first two or three years in one year um because we had time where i wasn't focused entirely on, on winning games um so yeah listen we had to take the positives be pragmatic and, and we were given a bit of time that we would never have had so we used it and, and we tried to benefit from it but yeah there were big big challenges and Thankfully the, the players have all come through them really well and really admirably and take my hat off to them.
1: Yeah. I was just gonna ask you as well. You kind of touched on it there on a more sort of personal note. How did you get yourself through lockdown and if there's anything in particular that you did to kind of keep yourself sane, not having football and uh
2: just completely redecorated the house. Yeah. Uh, Painted every wall and put floors down and put bathrooms in and built a bar at the back like everybody did. Right. Uh, it's just you know the usual, but but yeah, I mean in, in my in my free time, um, it was there was a lot of football, uh, there was a lot of organisation, there was a lot of Zoom calls, Zoom meetings mm-hmm. and uh, and planning. Um, and again, that you know the board, I, I pay a massive massive tribute to to Trevor McCann the chairman and, and Robert Fleck the treasurer. The, the two of them just work their socks off and continue to constantly um, and they've given me so much back and so much support that they've allowed us to really really take the, gl- the club off the ground and, and really get it moving forward
1: I'm not sure if you're aware but you're actually the first sort of guest we've had on Paul so I'm sure that ranks up there is, is one of your...
2: <laughs> that's one of my highlights and I'll, I'll, I'll move that I'll move that <laughs> to above the Stealing Sons thanks
1: <laughs> well, Clarence, but no listen it. thank you very much for coming on honestly yeah, it's, it's much, appreciated. much appreciated
2: no problem I well listen uh, you know wh- when things open up obviously please say uh, don't, be, don't be strangers get yourselves down to Dixon uh, absolutely and come and say hello you can come and be guests and, and, and we'll make a bit of a day of it and you can you can meet a few of the guys and, and see around the place and see what we're trying to
1: do and hopefully
2: enjoy it alright mate thank
1: absolutely. you very much yeah we'll, we'll certainly make a point of that 100%, that mate,
2: 100%. thanks so much again I really appreciate it no worries guys thank you all the best
1: take care thank you thank Paul you. all the best all right. thank you cheers, good luck for the season cheers right. bye bye